0: from the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. This is the Tech Policy Grind podcast. Every week, our fellows chat with leaders in the technology and internet law and policy space on recent developments and exciting topics such as privacy, internet governance, cybersecurity, tech legislation, and more. I'm your host, Rima Musa, and I'm a member of the 4th cohort of Foundry Fellows. The Foundry is a collaborative organization for internet law and policy professionals who are passionate about disruptive innovation. For the past few weeks, we've been covering the basics of the metaverse, as well as its implications for privacy. In this discussion, we take a more interdisciplinary look at more complex issues with the metaverse, such as adversarial interoperability and barriers to inclusivity in the metaverse. The conversation for today's episode features Roberto D'Acosta of VR Networking, Ryan Kiefer, Chief Metaverse Officer of TerraZero, Michael Novak, Senior Advisor of the Open Voice Network, and Sanjeet Singh, XR Software Engineer of Hoth Intelligence. The conversation is moderated by class four fellow ashwini natsan who is a legal consultant in tech media and telecommunications and is based in sri lanka
1: i will let the panelists add a little more about their work but before we move into their introductions let's start with the question that's ringing in many of our minds on the definition of metaverse what according to you is the metaverse and can you also explain how is the metaverse any different from technologies that have existed in the past, like AR and VR? So let's start with uh, Roberto and Ryan, Sanjit, and then Michael, please.
2: Sure. Uh, I don't think it <clears throat> is anything different than what we've already understand the Internet to be. The only thing that uh, we're adding uh, as we keep adding to our experiences online is an actual environment that we get to participate in together. Um, And that's, that's what I think the metaverse is currently.
3: Yeah. Um, uh, Adding to that, I also think that with uh, AR, there's we're really going to be adding a virtual layer to our everyday lives, Um, whether that be, you know, probably through glasses, we're already kind of doing it pretty heavily now through phones and apps and filters and things like that. But it's going to be more you know on your face all the time it'll be maybe subtle but sometimes way more immersive you know if you go to a concert and now there might be things that are all over the place versus you know just the performer just there
4: the way i see the metaverse is you know it's a whole new immersive interaction or a virtual world or a new way of socializing in a way we never have done especially with vr and ar added towards it they're just A whole new realm and a whole new world just to explore.
5: And I guess from my perspective, I always hate going last for these. (laughs) Um, So I would agree with my fellow panelists that there's that aspect of number one, when people ask me, you know, what is the metaverse? I ask them back, do you have a website? Well, yeah, of course we do. Okay, you're done. You know, for now, for the next couple of years, All you'll have is perhaps a button that you'll push on your website, and that'll take you to another page, and it'll be more interactive. I'll be able to walk around, see people engage in a more interactive fashion using my browser, or potentially, I think as Ryan had brought up, there might be something I would wear to be more immersive more. But at the same time, there's the other aspect of the metaverse where it's the the coming together of what we can currently do in that space. But there's also some of the infrastructure in the sense of, if I go to a metaverse, a website that has interactive capabilities, maybe I will want to purchase goods or services. Maybe I will want to learn more about things that I encounter in that metaverse. So therefore it'll bring in other technologies you know, based on distributed computing, things like um, e-commerce through various technologies. So to me, that's the metaverse. Is I get excited because it's the extension of the cloud, but it's convergence of these emerging technologies, including things like using your voice for identity. I don't want to have to use a user ID and password that I have to type in. I will want to say hi. I'm Michael Novak. It'll know who I am and let me gain entry to that website. Once I'm in the website, I will use it to navigate, you know, excuse me, where's room number 12? It'll talk to me in my language. And and then I will converse with other people using my voice. And then if I want to engage in some sort of finance transaction or e-commerce, it will engage in payment systems through payment providers by using my voice.
6: Excellent, Uh, thank you for that. So now to just follow up on that question on
1: defining or understanding the metaverse, can you perhaps uh, share examples of any metaverse uh, related tools that you're using or any metaverse examples that would be helpful for the audience to understand what really is the metaverse? So let's go with examples and use cases that each of you have used. So maybe we start with Mike, you go first.
5: Yeah. So, um, you know, my organization, Open Voice Network, we're a uh, Linux foundation fund, a nonprofit focused on making voice worthy of user trust. And this is because, again, we're at that early stage where when I tell people I work for Open Voice, they assume, oh, that's telephony. What do you know about 5G? And I say, no, we're focused on the human to machine component. You know, how will the machine understand what I say, be able to have a conversation, not just a uh, a, a query and response? So when we talk about some of the tools that would be used, there's a variety of different companies that are building natural language processing uh, products to help companies build out their NLP and NLU capabilities. Certainly in the uh, consumer world, there may be one or two or three companies you may be thinking of that have smart speakers in your house. I may have a mobile phone. So those types of tools that we already use can be used again. But the difference is, if I'm going to use my voice as well in the metaverse, what about the ethics what about privacy? What about security? So a lot of good legal issues to be addressed and governance issues around what are we going to do in a metaverse
6: environment? Thanks. Uh, Brian, do you want to uh, give some examples of your own use?
3: Yeah. So um, pretty frequently we're building, Like, my, my company does a few different things, but um from the metaverses that we currently use, we build heavily um, into central land, sandbox, um, portals, or Somnium space. Um, those are different worlds that we're currently, you know, actively building. And we have built for, you know, Bacardi, Molson, Coors, Estee um, CBS, um, for their television show, Ghosts, um, Jimmy John's to make like a, get your own virtual sandwich, which made a real sandwich that was delivered to your home. So we're working on a bunch of different platforms that, really, you know, make it so you have a full immersive experience and we're slowly getting companies to get more and more comfortable with having this digital connection that sends back to a physical and the physical back to the digital. So that's what's been really exciting.
6: Okay. Uh,
1: Sanjay?
4: So my company, well, the company I'm with, is Auth Intelligence, we're using metaverse technology, especially for real-time operations in the operating room, such as developing virtual worlds that can help surgeons out during performing procedure during skull surgery even when they're not exactly in the same location you know because in real time especially it's super difficult but in a virtual world you can get that interactive training especially other trained surgeons around it can really make that difference and outside of that my group has been utilizing the metaverse technology for stuff like mission to mars as you know one of the projects we've been doing is Mars virtual reality. So, you know, how we can train astronauts from different locations to have that training when they're ready to go to Mars. Another example where really you're doing is also virtual reality for tourism for STEAM education, especially, you know, from K through 12th grade, how we can kind of use the metaverse to make like a sci-fi like environment, especially in tourism to give like, it's like a NASA virtual reality museum we're creating to help, you know, the next generation of STEM students learn in a very sci-fi like way of how they can really get involved in STEM and really to excite them in that immersive educational environment. So we're using Metaverse for a lot of really cool things.
6: Meta? Well, first
2: I'm blown away by everybody's uh, ability and, and where they are in what they're doing in the Metaverse. Um, To relate to anybody, I would relate to Sanjit, not in the medical sense, but, uh, we are running uh, business events in virtual reality. And that that can kind of relate with you, Ryan, too, um, where we are trying to bring human connection uh, to more people, uh, business connections specifically. And uh, our job right now is to design better experiences so that people feel more authentic in their connection, uh, where it's not just a come-to-pitch-pitch experience. Um, it's It's a an authentic re- relationship being built uh, that lasts long-term and actually really does change the way uh, your business um, does business. Uh, and so we are trying to think about what, what different applications to use uh, applications that allow for events, easy access. Uh, right now we use Altspace VR uh, and we're digging into Horizon, uh, Roblox, Roblox, um, those are things that are moving into the into the future. See where opportunity lies for more businesses uh, to dive into the metaverse for the first time and understand its actual utility, which is human to human connection on a on a level that's never been done before.
6: Excellent. Thank you for all those uh, really, I think enlightening answers.
1: But to kind of uh, sum up, what we see is the metaverse. Is about greater immersion. And in your own experience, can you say that we have achieved immersion as to the extent that is being, uh, that is supposed to be achieved through the metaverse? Are we able to reproduce real physical world experiences to those in the metaverse? So we'll uh, start with Sanjeet on this.
4: Absolutely. In fact, you know, I think a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, replications of, real world inside the metaverse that you know the virtual world is able to replic- replicate such as you know going to a conference especially during the COVID time period it was so hard to travel to places but the way you have all space vr and you know people are like, able to create these exact same social experiences in vr through the metaverse it's just amazing it's like you can actually have that connection from like human to virtual <clears throat> world or to human to physical world it's like and you're replicating those exact same feelings you know and one of the things I think we can replicate now is like the touch sensation and that real connection. If we can really utilize it to that full peak, you know, I think especially the metaverse, we're headed in a great direction.
1: Uh, Matthew, would you would you like to add to that?
5: Yeah. So you know, again, it's hard to disagree with people I agree with. Um, you know, it's amazing that capability. You know, that that confluence of capabilities. Um, one of the things that we're exploring in the open voice network though is that immersion at uh well certainly at a voice level you may have heard the term voice or deep fakes you know how do i know that's really you on this zoom how do i know in the metaverse that's really you if it sounds like you is that really you and i get some pushback on that that you know i don't like this metaverse thing it's got deep fakes that's horrible and i come back and say well Yes, that exists, of course. I acknowledge it. But at a machine level, we're smart enough, just like we are if we have the artifacts in a virtual universe, um, who was Sanjit was talking about in the medical world or medical industry, I can replicate an open heart surgery and have everybody on this call participate as if you're really there, you have the sensations of being there. So, we have that machine level capability with voice to detect whether that's really you or a copy of your voice. And so, you know, I, I agree, this immersion and this capability to enhance what I can do to approximate real life for whatever reason, whether it's because of pandemic or because you're in Colombo and I'm halfway across the world, that's all good stuff that's in the
6: metaverse. Uh, Ryan
3: Yeah, so, from my perspective, uh we're pretty early. I think still on scratching the surface, we can do a lot of the things that everybody's talking about, but from the graphic fidelity to making it where it's more accessible. um I think that's really the biggest issue right now is the accessibility. A lot of people don't have the hardware equipment in order to you know do these things, and if they do have the hardware equipment, they're also like you have to like for to go into some of these metaverses um you have to have, you know, pretty like we have like gaming computers that are made specifically for this. The average person's like, you know, on a Chromebook or something like that, their computer won't handle it or it won't last very long before it melts maybe. But, you know, I'm joking, but there's, you know, there's a, a large level of, you know, hardware and consumer adoption that needs to happen before this can like fully go, um, I think global, but fr- from terms of a uh, Day, from a daily active perspective, it's going to happen. It's happening pretty rapidly. Um, people are engaging with AR every single day, for the most part, through Instagram or through Snapchat or Facebook. So they're already using the technologies. I just people may not be aware that they're already interacting with the metaverse in a way or shape. Um, but there are most of the things are browser based, so that's easier. But things like VR, um, it's a expensive, you know, entry level to get in. It's like four or five hundred dollars, even with the Meta Quest, and then There's a whole other stem of issues on if you have, like, you know, privacy and all these different things that are starting to come into account. Um, So it's going to be interesting. That's why I like the Web3 version of, I guess, the metaverse versus the, uh, I guess, the meta version of the metaverse. If
6: you will. Oh, excellent. Um, And Roberto? Um, Roberto?
2: Yeah, you know, I think think we just have to wait till uh, Elon Musk perfects that Neuralink. Ahead, and then we can. uh, I see. I I know Michael wants to to jump right on that boat. Uh, I I think on a serious note, no. I think you know, it's like psychologically, we really we can tell the difference, but when we're in an experience, we tend to forget. Reality, right? Once you're in there, you're immersed. You 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 see a color; it resembles something. You see a shape; it resembles something. And your mind has a hard time differentiating that it is a a metaphysical. It's not actually real. You can't touch it, but your mind doesn't doesn't relate. So our experiences can can be really real, um, you know, to, to a point um, until we have technology that can replicate sense and texture and and uh, you know, smells. Um, We have come really far with even, you know, the standalone headsets on the type of quality of experience that you could have shared experiences where I am instantaneously in the same meeting room as you guys, as opposed to me being on zoom, I'm looking at my computer right now, every 80 something keys on my keyboard. Um, But if I was in the headset and we were all in the headset and we're in an actual panel on stage, I'm there. Like, I'm not at my home. I'm now here with you guys. And that experience is real. Um, and so to say, you know, we've hit it somewhere. We've hit something. But, you know, to say the real reality, no, I, we're still far from that.
6: Uh, Michael, I thought you wanted to say something uh, to uh, Roberto's comment.
5: So, yeah, I... Perhaps it's the difference between, you know, my focus on the practical application of emerging technologies versus the aspirational activities. There's certain companies that have changed their names in my Mm -hmm. view as a marketing gambit. They haven't changed their business model. Okay. I I anticipate that that's fine. It serves their purpose. However, um, you know, again, the metaverse to me is that objective. It's a goal, you know, in 10 years, if we have the same conversation with the same players here today, we will still be discussing, you know, what is the metaverse? Is it here now yet? What's different than back in the days of, you know, 2022? And it's a matter of that progression. I remember when the cloud was first invented And I had similar thoughts. It's like, okay, cloud, this is neat. You know, I can understand that concept of, you know, things, the hardware and the capabilities aren't under my desk. They're somewhere up there in the cloud. Oh, yeah, but keep in mind what that means is they're actually in a server farm in Northern Virginia in the United States. You know, it's a piece of hardware in a warehouse running off electricity. It just doesn't sit over here behind me. So in the metaverse... Again, as we spoke about, it exists today at a certain level. But could it be better in 5, 10 years, more immersive, more realistic? Perhaps I wouldn't need to wear something physical because there are you know, human accessibility issues. Some people are colorblind. Some people have difficulty you know, using their body. So what if it could be something that I could engage in? without the artifacts I have in the real world. Okay. I believe that could happen when not in five years, maybe five plus n years. So I could go on, but.
6: Okay, great. So just to uh,
1: follow up on the point that Ryan had made on accessibility and the barrier of entry that. Metaverse creates because you need certain hardware that we're talking about. And I know several people who've never had access to any hardware, although they've been uh, you know, gaming or doing other things in the sort of Metaverse. So what do you think we can do to kind of bridge this gap?
6: So maybe start with, uh, yes, please go
5: on. My, I, my first thought to that, and I've thought about this is the library. You know, back in the day, books were very expensive and I had to know you to borrow that manual you have behind you in your bookcase. Potentially, there could be businesses that pop up, whether they're public libraries or private sectors that say, yeah, we have 25 uh, pieces of hardware. We have the capability to provide this to you for a minor fee per hour, per day, per minute, or, you know, some business model that would work. And I'm curious, like for you, Ryan, what you think of that.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely we've seen um, you know, met people who want to either get into the metaverse or like want to build their own places. People a lot of like what happened previously was like NFT land sales and all these right. different things, and you know, prohibitively expensive. So, you know, there's other options there, um, hopefully coming up soon. Um and then from a hardware perspective, you know, it's all about making things in a way that consumer-based versus, um, I guess, you can there's like an enterprise grade, there's like a gamer grade, and then there's like a normal consumer grade. So having the ability to toggle, you know, the fidelity of the graphics between, you know, seeing ray tracing and all these different things versus, you know, this is simple, but you can still get to it. Those are the things that people probably need to think about a little bit more when they're creating um not everybody i mean i'm running off of like a really expensive macbook pro that i I require to need it's my job so but if i didn't have this like if i didn't have this job what would i really be using maybe a macbook air you can access the metaverse pretty easily with a macbook air um at least the central land and um sandbox too but other group other metaverses and other things like you'll just start your computer will start getting really hot, really quick. Um, And, you know, we just, people just need to realize that. And then also browser-based things versus um, having them be mobile. Um, I think that's one of the biggest issues right now is that most of these metaverses aren't available on a mobile setting. So you should be able to take your identity with you, wherever you go, whether that's your physical or digital identity. And right now um, with a lot of these worlds, your digital identity stays at your desktop or your laptop, um, rather than going with you all the time, wherever you are. So that's one of the other things that we need to, you know, add accessibility for mobile on a much uh, broader base.
6: You know, yeah, you know, I really think the hardware
4: accessibility, this has been a big issue, especially, you know, especially when the latest gaming computers going on, you know, It's really the graphics card that's like, you know, really that makes a difference because especially when you're in the metaverse, the resolution and the rendering, the graphics, it's really all about that. You know, if you look at like the early days when NVIDIA, you know, they got involved with graphics card, you know, for they originally started making the technology for the gaming market. And, you know, especially since then, gaming has been booming. And now you see the gaming technology that's like being used in so many variety of applications, especially VR. But the question is still, you know, how many people can really afford this technology? This is really, you know, a big thing, especially, you know, first of all, buying a VR Air headset isn't exactly cheap, you know. Going into the Metaverse isn't exactly cheap. And then needing a computer that can really render all that isn't exactly cheap either, especially, you know, the more powerful the graphics are, the more expensive the system is. That's from at least a pattern I've seen. And, like, one example is, you know, like, a lot of my group and I, you know, we do a lot of VR in using this game engine known as Unreal. But in order to run a, a, such a powerful end like unreal, you really, really need a good computer, plus on top of that, a really good computer that can really run the virtual reality simulation. And that for that aspect, it's getting that type of hardware, it's just it's been very, very difficult. And you know, I think accessibility, especially for the cost, that's something that really needs to be looked on, especially if you want to give whole world access to the metaverse.
3: Just to add super quickly to that, from the accessibility point, we're also in a massive like chip shortage and just, and like, so on top of it, it's making things take longer to get to people. And then it's even more expensive for them to even order it in the first place. So it's, it's not making it any easier, I guess, right now.
6: Um, better do you? you
3: yeah, I ask- have a,
2: yeah, I have some points to make uh counter, but I, you know, I, I generally agree. Uh, but I think that, you know, if you take away the chip shortage, because that's just a, you know, uh, a factory and a delivery system error issue. Um, if you think about the technology itself, we, we carry around every day a, a pretty super computer uh, compared to all computers in history. Uh, and they sit in a small little device that fits in our pocket. But if you compare that to a gaming computer. It is not you can't so a gaming computer will always outweigh a cell phone uh for the metaverse for people to participate in the metaverse i don't think that they need necessarily the highest of uh, all graphics they actually just need a very bare minimum minimum um and i think that if we just create a a compact headset and this this needs to be i think five years down we'll have something that's lighter, uh, that has more technology inserted into it, not less. We don't dumb it down anymore. We keep things simple, but we add more. So our phone, uh, our apps. So we integrate all all the things that we need our phones for um, into a little headset that we can easily sip on and off uh, and and be able to enjoy the day. Then Verizon comes in and says, hey, you know what? Uh, For $100 a month, you can get this headset and your Verizon plan. Uh, we do this now. Like it's, it's not about a price point. It's about technology um, uh, integration uh, point. I think we just need to hit a point where a headset is usable every day for the common person. And then they'll jump into the metaverse way more easily. And for businesses to be able to find a business model that works for them. Uh, so that, that that way they can sell you a iPhone that is $1,300 for, uh, you know, $60 a month type of package with your phone bill. Uh, And I think that'll, that switch will change the way the market sees metaverse and how people, uh, when people decide to jump in.
1: These are really insightful answers and we actually have some uh, solutions that you've suggested, which is great. But drawing from this, There's another related point on representation and inclusivity when it comes to decision-making. We have to have the Global North and the Global South coming together in deciding on how the metaverse works. But do you see that happening? And how is this going to play out in the times to come? How do we achieve that? I mean, it's the ideal, but
6: what would you think we can do to move towards that ideal? Hmm. Yeah, who would like to go first yeah ryan do you have any points
3: um sure uh one of the things that it's going to have to be is going to be through you know technology leaders and through uh social movements and groups i wouldn't count on uh, this is just me usually government a- governments or government agencies to really be pushing um you know the standards and what it's going to be to be in the metaverse and what representation needs to be there i think there's um Right now, I think luckily the metaverse for the most part is about representation, um, being yourself or trying to be as much as yourself, representing yourself as much as possible. And um, we see that, you know, through wearables and all sorts of other things. But when people are uh, creating these experiences, they need to, you know, think about how, what body types are, you know, there. I know from a technological standpoint, when we're building things, you know, it's a lot easier to have two form-fitting um body types than it is to have, you know, uh, you know, something that you can like literally put on a scale or like change uh drastically because then it becomes like an actual, you know, fitting that you have to do per item for every single thing. So from a uh, that standpoint, we have to understand that like maybe representation from a technological perspective is a little bit going to be slower because it takes longer to create things. But from a uh, you know, skin, religion, uh however people I want to identify themselves, like People are just already doing a pretty good job, I feel like, but it needs to continue. Um, and it needs to be pushed more from a social movement, I feel, than any government or um, any agency type.
6: Uh, Michael, do you, what would you like to answer
5: you, that? Yeah, I just had a question for you to clarify. What's your definition of global north and global south?
1: It, it very loosely uh, said, to just say that you have all the power blocks in the world coming together, in the physical world coming together, as opposed to only those in, the, in certain countries where these metaverse organizations have in, been incorporated.
5: So more, again, what Ryan was talking about, the, the avatar appearance more so than the accessibility, I can't afford to get access to a metaverse?
1: Yes, accessibility, we, we did address that, but also okay. in the ways that the metaverse is going to function, the decision-making of the metaverses, how do you make sure that all power blocks and even the minorities are included in this from the smaller yeah, no, countries? That's, okay,
5: so that's fair. And so again, uh, that's a great question. And it is one thing that we're trying to address in the Open Voice Network, because as many people may know, if I even use a textual a chat bot to try and translate from English to Hindi or Urdu or Russian or Spanish, number one, there's only so many languages it may or may not support, and the method in which it supports them, many companies will default to take whatever the language coming in is, make it English, and then English translate it to a localized language, so again, it's still one of the rough spots that companies are working on, but it's, it's a ongoing issue. And so certainly in the metaverse, this will still be an issue. You know, I show up in the metaverse in the form that I wish to look. Oh, you guys don't support English. Oh, so I have to speak uh, Pig Latin or Esperanto or, you know, pick another language. I'm sorry, that API has not been yet developed. Okay, so this is still a, a immense issue. The other piece I was going to add to that, that comes up in the metaverse, is what about again those people that literally have difficulty speaking because of physical issues or neurological issues, um, and in healthcare this has been prominent, but it applies in education. It applies across the board. There are companies working on this. So that, again, I can use other pneumatic means to express myself in a metaverse environment and have you on the receiving end decide how I'm going to interpret those signals. If I'm using ASL, American Sign Language, versus BSL, British Sign Language, and I believe there's several different variations on sign language, in the metaverse, I would anticipate and expect that those types of translations could be done and should be done to improve that accessibility just as much as if I want to appear with the hair I had when I was 20 years old up there, not
6: down here. Fantastic. Uh, um Same about the hair
2: up here. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know too much about, um, you know, the, the 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 fine points on you know, how how the perfect medium is going to look like on for appearances, making everybody feel equal or heard uh, the right way that they want to be heard. Um, but I do believe in markets, and I think that. Th- Ultimately, there will be. It won't be, you know, just Meta and and Microsoft. There will be thousands of different metaverse applications all fighting for uh, the the kingdom. But underneath that, there will be plenty of space for different people to um, to vote with their participation. Uh, Perhaps to- as many metaverses as there are websites. There might be actually, I mean, why not? My, my website can have its own. Like if I'm, I, I sell websites and, and SEO, why can't I have just a place where people can come and talk about website design and SEO? And that's the only, that's the only thing that we do there. Right. So if we're talking about you know, inclusiveness um, that I don't think that humans have ever been uh, a, a super inclusive species or tribalists, uh, and so we work best w- with with our tribe when we have a designed space for ourselves that we can quarter off and and, and vote with our participation. I think that that's the way that uh, this will evolve. And I think that that will drive faster ethics.
6: Uh, Sanjay?
4: You know, these are all really great points. You know, I think it's really the technology that really needs more the development side. But in terms of, getting the whole metaverse out there, really getting it global, this can be a big revolutionizing thing. And, you know, if you look at, I think, you know, as Mike was mentioning, you know, the translation, especially people from different countries, how to translate different languages inside the metaverse really, you know, enable that communication, but at the same time, really, how you can connect the world globally in the metaverse. This is something that I think, you know, could really be a big breakthrough if we can enable that.
0: We'll be right back. The Internet Law and Policy Foundry's 2022 Policy Hackathon is the Foundry's third policy hackathon, happening this October 14 through 16. The Policy Hackathon is a three day event that brings together creative technical and policy professionals from around the world to tackle emerging and long standing problems related to the intersection of law, policy, and technology. The theme of this year's hackathon is Privacy, Trust, and Safety in the Metaverse. Additionally, the Foundry is holding a writing competition and a series of virtual events about all things Metaverse. For more information about the hackathon, the writing competition, and other hackathon related events, you can visit the Foundry's website, ilpfoundry.us, or our social media pages.
6: Since we're talking on the multiple
1: metaverses, how do we achieve interoperability? Because we are talking about one metaverse with a capital M, which is not what we all want. Everybody wants a level playing field with multiple metaverses, not on caps. So how are we looking at interoperability? And in your experience, how do you think we should broach on the subject of interoperability? So we'll
2: uh, start with uh, Roberto on this. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I would like it. I would love an inter- interoperable uh, metaverse. I just don't believe that that is going to happen. I think that we are, uh, it, I live in the U.S. and most of you are in the U.S. right now. So I, we live in a, a capitalist society. For us to say there's one thing is insane, uh, we can't process that. Uh, I can't, certainly. I think that it, it, we do a better job without the interoperability and the ability to just hop from one uh, operability system to another. Uh, everything is a competition. And if we don't have things to compete, uh, we just start slacking. Uh, and that's not every time, but I think that in general, people you know, stop seeing opportunity in a new way. Um, but could that be just terminology? I mean,
5: you know, I think about again the cloud. Well, when I say the cloud, we all know what the cloud is. The cloud. Oh, but what you mean is Roberto's site or Ashwini's right. site. So, you know, it's the level of abstraction. When you say the metaverse, okay, I understand it, but you can still, I think, have multiple metaverse-enabled websites and still sure. call it the metaverse. Would you agree? Yeah, Roberto? Using
2: Ready Player Me. Are we using um, this wallet or that wallet, right? Are, are we merging all of them? I don't think that that's possible. I think that we're, the only interoperability in our future is that we're all plugged into Wi-Fi uh, 6. You know, like that's, that's as interoperable as I think we're going to get. Everything else, it's going to be Ready Player Me versus this guy versus that guy uh, versus Microsoft versus uh, Meta. It, it, it just doesn't make sense to merge together.
3: Ryan, your thoughts on interoperability? Uh yeah, a little bit different, but I think that there's going to be a good amount of interoperability. I think it's just going to take time. It really depends on I think a lot of these metaverses that have popped up will probably go away um, at some point. Um well, they'll either run out of funding or they were never actually funded to begin with. They were, you know, um somewhat scams. But um we'll find that out at some point soon, probably um but i think there is a way to create you know some sort of interoperability where you can connect from one metaverse jump and jump to another make it a seamless transition i don't think you're necessarily with ready player me you can it has access and you can have an avatar that goes to these different places but every metaverse is going to have its own um you know look and feel it's going to have its way it's going to you're going to move around things will be you know a lot of people are building you know on unity or unreal right now and frankly, doesn't look like there's too much variability on, like, a lot of the new stuff I'm seeing, which is kind of sad. I have a background in animation, and, like, I love doing different styles and different things. This isn't, like, we don't want to make one homogenous metaverse that's kind of boring. Um, it should be, you know, different styles and different art directions, oh. and if you want to go somewhere, you should actually be able to go somewhere, whether it's made up or real, and they should have a certain aesthetic to it. So from an interoperability standpoint, your avatar will probably look different, but it's still you and still have your data because if it's connected to a wallet or something like that, you can still carry those things with you and that information with you. But you might, you know, someone if you buy something might say, hey, this is this wearable or this t-shirt's available and blah, 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 metaverse, but not in and but if you go to another one, uh sorry, it's not, you know, compatible yet. And therefore you will just default back to a normal, you know, white t-shirt for for instance. Um So I think it's, I think there will be some factors, but do I think it's going to be like a full one kumbaya thing? Definitely not.
5: So Ryan, can I ask you a follow-up question? Yeah. Um, I've been reading a a couple of books recently on the metaverse that was uh, very educational. And one of the issues that was brought up had to do with that specifically about the interoperability at the artifact level. I create something in one metaverse and I want to bring it over to another and the arguments were made that well technically that p- may not be possible because the APIs may not be supported in your metaverse or equivalent in my metaverse so that makes it a something to overcome so the question is what happens then if i create you know a suit of armor in my metaverse and i come over to yours and you don't support that what would you hope to be the fallback or what would you expect to have
3: happen? Yeah. I mean, in order to, you'd have to have these agreements between these different metaverses or you have to have um, some sort of open forum or standards that need to be implemented across multiple metaverses. So it's like, Hey, we're going to be following this. It needs to be this, this file type. You, here's the way to, if you need to, if you already have that file type and you need to make slight adjustments, but you only have this amount of triangles available. You know, some of them are, like the central end is very low poly um, sandbox is literally voxel. So you're not going to be able to make something that's going to work for both of those just by default, but moving forward, you know, you, you can do your best, but the best thing to have is, you know, standards and um, try to have uniformity that everyone can agree upon. Is that possible? Probably not, but you can at least probably have a group. Um, I mean, I know there's like the metaverse standards forum. That's like trying to be created, um, we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, hopefully positively. Um but you know, Microsoft can do whatever they want, they have the back and do it, medic can do whatever they want, they have the capital to do it, Activision. Um, I guess it's now Microsoft, they can do whatever they want. So there's gonna be Sony. So all these big players can make whatever they want and the big players in the game it's going to be are the little people or the little smaller metaverse is going to have to capitulate to them or the bigger guys going to have to capitulate to the interoperability or are they going to create walled gardens it's kind of like i i don't know how that uh, i guess the system's going to play out but we'll find out probably over the next five ten years for sure
6: yeah i i i, I just want to
2: uh piggyback on that it's because of the way that we've I'm just historically looking. If you look at the way the internet has gone, they've spoken about a, a, a singular internet. And it just never happened. If anything, it splintered off even more. Like it just, that is the path of-, of Did evolution. it splinter though? I mean, I could
5: argue both that I would say that it's specialized because I don't like fishing. So I don't want to have a fishing yeah. <laughs> website all the time. I want to have a bicycle or soccer website.
2: Yeah, specialized, but in, in that, not so much just the website part, but like, you know, uh, different languages. Are you PHP? Are you Python? Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you a full stack? Are you doing everything all in the singular? Or, or who singular your payment player? provider is and what yeah. APIs they support. Yeah, so, and no. applications don't work together. So I can't always, Zapier is a solution, right? So applications don't work together. They all had to like, a, a whole new market needed to be so historically looking, and if we're going to reflect off of how we act as, as uh, you know, dreamers and doers and entrepreneurs, uh, I want my thing. I want my name. I want my thing, right? It's just the, the ego, even though we might not all be egotistic, wants its own. And I think that that is the way that we're going to start seeing things devolve for the better, I think. I think at least so to- we're all equal, you're just more equal than us,
5: right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you you know
4: when it comes to interoperability, I do think in the long term, we're gonna get there, and I think you know Ryan, Roberto, and Mike, you guys brought up some really good points, especially uh, Ryan, like you brought up some of these companies, you know it's like every company is trying to build that metaverse, but there's like so much competition between every company, but another thing is like. You know, like I think about accessibility, like if you look at the Internet, it's like, you know, in America, we got access to places like Google. But if you go to go to a place like China, like a lot of that kind of stuff is restricted. So, you know, how is that going to be a similar logic like this for the metaverse, how we can like make it exchangeable? And, you know, in terms of every place, like make it more accessible in terms of like that, or is it going to be mostly
6: competition and restrictions, yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent point. And it also brings us to this discussion on whether we really
1: need to have cooperative interoperability or we are okay with just even adversarial interoperability. For the audience who don't know, are well, you still trying to fit into standards without the consent of the other developer? So there is still an option for interoperability to achieve interoperability without agreement. That's just uh, one other point. So we, we do have that as well. And we also have examples of interoperability that have been required by state, by governments. For example, in the UK, you have financial institutions being required to enforce certain interoperability standards. So yes, so I think all your perspectives really add value to the discussion on interoperability. I'd love to chat so much more on this, but we're running out of time. So a reminder to all our audience, please add in questions that you may have in in the Q&A option so that we can raise it with the panelists. In the meantime, I'd also like specific questions to each of you uh, on your work so that we would understand it better. So um, let's start with uh, uh, Ryan. In your legal background and in your work in the metaverse, If I were to ask you three current issues that you see that need to be looked at or probably be highlighted, what would it be from a legal standpoint? I know there are lots of things that have been thrown around. I can
3: tell you based on the legal departments that we speak to on a regular basis at these companies, I can tell you security, it's privacy, and it's IP protection. Those are the three biggest um, things that we consistently see as a legal questions, um, you know, a lot of these platforms are open source. A lot of these platforms, um, if they're not open source, they're kind of run by a DAO. So what is a What is a DAO? How does it work? Um, is kind of difficult for some of these people to understand because it's they're normally dealing with corporations and corporations work in a very particular way. And that's not <laughs> how DAOs work at all um, for the most part. Um, so there's that um, from an IP protecting standpoint, you know, someone could spin up you could rent land or buy land from somebody, but then someone next to you could buy land and then you didn't put enough space or a barrier in between you. And, you know, they can put your company sucks right next door um, and you couldn't do anything about it, you know, and there's no, who, who are you going to go complain to? Nobody. So there's, those are things that, you know, you can protect yourself from very easily, but you know, if you go, with, uh, you know, an agency or something like that that are alone and you haven't thought these things through or they just don't have the experience with it, then these are issues that are going to show up. And then from a security and data privacy standpoint, once again, there's you we don't track anything and we don't use any platforms that track personal or identifiable data. Um, That's just not really what we're interested in. But even so, people, people are starting to think that avatars or having an avatar name or a wallet address could be technically personally identifiable based on how much information they give. So what is data? How is it being protected? Are we going to have to, you know, is the GDPR and all these different data regulations going to have to, you know, open up even further to include wallet addresses um, and avatar names and how that information is being used slash... Protected slash not distributed, so those are the three big ones. I'll what other people talk now to. So what's okay. the answer,
5: Ryan? You got the question. What are the What are the answers? <laughs>
3: it depends on the company, <laughs> and their legal team, and what they're and what they're comfortable with. I guess is really all it about.
6: Okay, and um, just a follow up on that uh, point that you had made about privacy laws.
1: As far as privacy is concerned, we have these competing laws between different jurisdictions, and we face that in the cyberspace, between the GDPR applying or the law in India applying or the law in Sri Lanka applying. The same issues would translate to the metaverse. How do you think they're amplified in the metaverse? Are they even being amplified?
5: <laughs> so can I take a swing at that one? Um... You know, the Open Voice Network, one of the things we do work on is developing guidelines. We don't issue policies, but we try and develop guidelines as it relates to privacy, security, and intellectual property of my voice. How is that going to work in the metaverse currently? As you probably can guess, there are no regulations in effect that have been adjudicated in court to cover those areas in the metaverse. Um, What we try and look to do, though, is, again, get people and companies to start considering, wow, we should, you know, how are we going to implement our product, our service in the metaverse in a way that is ethically legal and will comply with what we believe the law should be or will be. And it's a answer that we continue to work on. There is no final answer yet. Um, some of the issues that have come up with me specifically in uh, privacy area and also IP is if I'm in a metaverse and I create an artifact, whether, again, it's my my features or my voice, that could be good. You know, when I'm at your metaverse, I want to sound this way. When I go to a different metaverse, I want to sound differently. But wait a minute, if I wanted to not use my voice because of privacy concerns, I want to rent Ryan's voice and I'll pay him. What protection is there? And currently the answer is it's the difference between property law and service law. Now, again, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV. I've just talked with lots of lawyers about this, because if I create something, an artifact, a voice or something else in a metaverse, and I say I want to uh, revoke that, why? Why? Well, because the site that manages has gone out of business or changed their terms of service. I don't own that thing. And that goes for NFTs or my voice uh, avatar. It's a service contract, not a property contract. I don't have it with me. And there's, again, this is an open question. What do we do about this? In the perfect metaverse, I would love to, again, move between different websites that are metaverse enabled, we we'll have to come up with a different term, but currently the law does not allow or, or have redress for, hey, you stole my voice or my artifact in your metaverse. Is that right? No. But then it comes into the geopolitical side where, you know, in cases of privacy, privacy, everyone can agree on. We need privacy. What does that mean in your country specifically? What does that mean in your neighborhood And then it's also temporal. You know, right now I am steaming mad because my product doesn't work. My privacy, I want to take it all back. Tomorrow I might be in a hurry and under duress and I need this now. Oh, please provide five factors for identification. (sighs) That's not privacy. So again, it's that temporal or contextual value for my artifact that I'm building in the metaverse. This is an area that's going to be rich a rich area for investigation by uh, the legal and regulatory bodies.
6: Superb. I-, I couldn't have said it better. Thank you. And, uh, uh, I bet
5: you could have. You're a, you're a lawyer. You could have said it much better.
1: Uh, so, Roberto, I'm uh, just coming to you on relating to the work that you do on VR networking. Can you tell us a little bit about how this is transforming traditional networking and what do you see is the challenge for VR networking in the meta- in the metaverse?
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, so VR networking is all about connecting people. Um, and the it's about connecting people in virtual reality for business, right? To connect about business, to do your marketing, to do your networking, to uh, become friends partners uh you know growing gap the problem uh, we're we're seeing is that vr is is worse with attention span uh than even a, a cell phone uh not so much like when you are engaged you are fully there but if you are at the very least bored it is so easy for you to disappear and clock out right the task at hand is to make every encounter engaging. Uh, so it, it, when, you are th- when you talk about content creation, and as we move from video content creation, to, uh, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, into metaverse content creation, it is, it is a huge task. It is so much more than creating a script, uh, having a nice background, nice lighting, and then saying something to a camera. Um, you really need to think about every individual's experience from their own pr- point of view and their own perspective and their own background, and how that's going to affect them in that space. It's much like a real world environment, but in a real world environment, I can't just disappear. So if I come to your crummy event, uh, I'm kind of there, right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna force myself to exist um, because I, I can't not exist. But in in the metaverse, it's it's not an, it's it's almost not an option. Right. You have to make something almost, you know, almost perfect for everybody. So that way you can keep people in the space to do the job that you're set out to do, uh, which is engage, connect uh, and, and dr- drive content in some form. Um, and that's the hardest. That's what we're working on now, thinking about how to design that and how to systematize it so you can uh, do it. Uh, more rapidly so you have a, a shorter turnaround and then how do we package that so we can teach other people how to do that too it's just completely new and and you know boggles my mind so roberto can i ask you a follow-on question may i
5: we, i don't know if we please, have enough time
6: please, please don't.
5: so one of the areas again surprise focused on voice one of the conversations that's come up is with professional voice actors mm-hmm. where they look at the metaverse and go oh my goodness this is horrible why is that Well, there could be someone who's faking my voice or using it and I wouldn't get paid for it. That's my voice. This is my job. And that's evolved into a scenario where, wait a minute, this is a good thing because what you're just talking about, that social arena and being able to have a metaverse, I could be in four or five different metaverses at the exact same time without having to travel anywhere It would be my representation. It would be my voice that represents me. And guess what? Because I could store that information on a distributed network, what they call a blockchain for those people who don't know what that is. It's a distributed network. So every time my avatar or my voice is used, I would know about it. And therefore, that intellectual property, see, I knew I would get back to Ashwini. I could account for that and still make money off it by going to multiple metaverses and encountering and having those social interactions
2: at the exact same time. Yeah, that's true. You can, but you can't police that. Uh, you can only police it to a point, right? Uh, even though police least it. what do you mean? I'm sorry. I, you can't enforce uh, whether you get paid or not for somebody to use that. Cause I can, I can rip your voice and then create my own universe and have that exist there and not pay you. So yes, but no. Um, Again, you know, speaking of
5: voice, uh, there are companies that are developing voice prints, like a watermark, voice watermarks. So if I come to your webinar, if I come to your multiverse, uh, metaverse, I would embed a signature sub audio signal. So if you decide to just hold up a microphone, record my voice and run away, you would be accounted for? Certainly people would probably do it and get away with it, but at scale, the answer is no. I would know every time my voice popped up, there would be a record of it. And therefore I would have recourse through a legal system to come after you and say, hey,
2: stop doing that or I will take legal action. The the counter argument to that is uh, pirated movies. That, Absolutely, That is a giant market and there is no recourse. So if I have servers. In the well, app, there is, but let's just say it's a
5: scale. You know, am I going to go after mom and pop? Maybe not. If I go through Netflix,
2: then I, I can take recourse and get something done. Sure. Netflix, but Netflix wouldn't break the law in the first place. I don't think. Okay. But uh, fair,
3: fair. I would if, hope.
2: if we're talking about dark, agents the pirate
3: Bay, uh, or something like that
2: exactly they're yeah. making millions upon millions of dollars every year on ads ads on their website because they are showing you what you want to watch for free yeah. not that i go there but hypothetically speaking hypothetically speaking i'm talking about my friend here uh what the the implication here is that just because the laws apply to you and everybody here in your country, it's not going to apply to everybody in the world. And so if somebody steals your voice and they live in Afghanistan and they built out this whole server that's selling your entire identity, right? Like the Afghan uh, um, uh, government is is not, well, maybe, maybe they would, but I, I don't know. They wouldn't do anything. Especially, I mean, Panama is its own dark market. Like you, there's, they don't need to apply... They are in partnership with the U.S. and they don't need to give any information digitally to to the U.S. They don't need to enforce anything. So it's it's a strange Panama is a strange place that, you know, dark people, dark agents could uh, exist and never have recourse.
5: Agreed. I mean, I, I certainly agree that we have crime in general. It happens. Right. Um, in the case of voice specifically, um, I will point out, I learned that with voice actors, there is a, a international agreement as it relates to voice production specifically. However, you're absolutely right. It doesn't mean no one is going to violate it. It's just yeah. the case of we have the technologies in VR and AR and XR to manage it in the white web, not the dark web, the light web. Yeah, the light web, the light metaverse. So there will be a standard at least that countries that uh, sign up for it, just like we do with any international agreement. If your country signs off that, yes, I agree to these principles, they're on the hook. Implementation will vary, but at least you have that standard to look at and say, yes, everyone agrees this is good or this is bad. And I was just pointing out that with voice, this is an active issue. About six months ago, it came up is, gosh, how do I prevent this? And then as we started examining it, we said, oh, but, you know, this is a good thing because you literally can be in multiple places at once. And there is a technical way to track the usage. Yeah, Sure. Yeah, yes. Yeah, there's a, it's a, it's a very important
1: discussion and one we, We all agree that there's really no foolproof method, especially when it comes to enforcement across uh, jurisdictions. But quickly, because we have to end the uh, panel discussion, sadly, we are out of time. Uh, Sanjay, can you elaborate a little bit on uh, XR software engineering that you do and how is it different from other software engineering? And then quickly, all the panel members, let's do... uh, lightning round your future predictions for the metaverse in under a minute so sanjit let's start with you
4: sure so on hoth intelligence you know we're working on the next generation augmented reality for something that can really save lives especially for skull surgery so we collaborate a lot with neurosurgeons and what we're trying to do compared to different other software engineering methodologies is we really want to bring you know the xr to the real operating room in real time like overlay an environment, especially during skull surgery operation. And one of the beliefs we share is, you know, through the power of technology and innovation, we can really save a lot more lives. So we're really, our focus compared to like, you know, especially in traditional healthcare and traditional engineering is we want to bring that real-time precision and really enable more informatics through like the heads-up displays through that device and also create an immersive environment or other surgeons can practice even we're not in the same operating room altogether so compared to all the other engineering you know like we're we're trying to create something that you know it's real time it's immersive it's fun and really can make that difference right
6: let's go with future predictions yes who wants to go first Sanjay yeah yeah I can I can start off so,
4: future predictions, like on just to confirm in terms of XR in general? Just the metaverse. Yeah. Anything. The metaverse.
1: Metaverse. Yes. You know,
4: the future, long term down the line, the way I see the metaverse is really how we can really digitize our minds into creating like that immersive virtual experience, kind of like in the sci fi realm. That's what I see like having that vision of virtual game pods and, you know, kind of making these connections like touch and all that, like, you know, sensation of the brain and really replicating all these actual experiences like a whole new realm of virtual world
6: That's
3: okay. what I see Ryan yeah um, oof, okay, well, I'd say at least five hopefully five years from now um people will there'll be a really good AR technology where the metaverse will become this virtual layer that you can engage with um, at all times during the day um, if you choose to and um, the hardware capabilities will be easier for people to you know get have um have everything done at home at work or uh you know just while they're out and about
6: okay uh
2: uh i envision glasses like these by the end of my lifetime um and i i envision being able to go for a walk and have a, a a phone call we'll still call them phone calls and have my mother appear and and be able to walk with her you know um you know, for on a 40 minute walk, not that she would walk that long, but, uh, you know, go on a nice little hike with with a family member, a loved one and spend time with them in, in new spaces. Uh, not, not too much different, just way better than today.
1: And Michael, closing comments?
2: Yeah, so again, thank you very much for having me today. This has
5: been uh, very educational for me and I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. What you haven't known is this is my avatar and you've been talking to me for the last hour. Um, So I, I see definitely I have that objective of, yeah, in the metaverse, there will be a time when it will be easier and more transparent to move between different websites that are metaverse enabled that will include voice as well as other channels to be identified, to get in number two, to navigate and communicate while you're at the website. And number three, to engage in e-commerce and, and banking and all of the infrastructure that goes on, preferably by voice as the primary means based on the needs and accessibility of the users. But thank you all. I appreciate your time.
3: Yeah, thank, thank you. everybody.
0: You so much. Thanks, thanks a lot for joining. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to check out our final episode in this metaverse series next week on trust and safety in the metaverse. Huge thank you to Lemma Mohammed, our social coordinator, and Allison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator, for their help in making this show happen. See you next time.